But first, we're going to look forward to hearing what Mark has to say. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, David. Good morning. Uh, in a world uh, where our culture tells us that everything can be explained, uh, I think awe is one of the underserved signs of discipleship. Uh, I'm in awe being here, awe in the sense of the Holy Spirit bringing me to a committee for deep and honest and authentic conversation and standing before you today. I am grateful, I am honored, I'm humbled. Let us pray. Gracious God, open now your word to us that we would be obedient to your leading, attentive to your spirit, and in awe of your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The scripture for the third Sunday of Easter is from the 24th chapter of Luke. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? He, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer, and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The word of the Lord. This text implies that the disciples were not open. This text implies that they needed to be open. This text implies that there's something about God, there's something about the Bible, there's something about Easter that requires opening. This text implies that being open is a miracle performed by God. I suppose we all like to think that we're open. Being an open person is so valued today, and a lack of openness is about as serious a secular sin as you can find. We all like to think we are open. If you've ever lived in Chicago, as I did for a few years, it seems like you get called for jury duty every other month. It's constant. One time, I was called as a potential juror, and it turned out the case was one where the defendant was accused of murder. You probably know the drill. 20 or 30 of us were herded into a room, and then we were all questioned by both attorneys, mostly to see, I guess, if we were open. Mr. Smith was the first one who was questioned. Now, Mr. Smith, the defense attorney began. The defendant in this case is black. You are white. Will that be a problem for you? Well, no, of course not, Mr. Smith said. Well, do you have any friends who are not white? 
Not off the top of my head. When is the last time you visited in the home of an African American? Not recently. When you drive through parts of town that are predominantly African American, does your behavior change? Well, I lock my doors, but that's just being prudent. Mr. Smith said that he was open. He was not selective. Next up was Mrs. Jones. One of the lawyers said, Mrs. Jones, this trial could take two to four weeks to complete. Could you give your complete and undivided attention in that time to this important work? Well, Mrs. Jones said, I'm very busy. You know, I have a job and kids and a husband, and I do so much. Will it really take that long, really? I mean, I want to do my civic duty, but I don't have time to waste. She wasn't prejudiced. She was just distracted. Is that a sin? Being so busy and so in a rush that you really can't afford to stay open? Mr. Taylor, I noticed that you have a daughter named Kimberly, which is the same name as the victim in this case. That was how they started with the next potential juror. Now, Mr. Taylor protested that he was a fair man, an honest man, an open man, that he would do everything he could to ensure that justice was done. But Mr. Taylor, the attorney, persisted. You will hear this name over and over again, Kimberly, Kimberly, Kimberly. Are you telling me you can stand that? He wanted to be open, but his face said no. After a while, they came to me. Now, you don't know me yet, but I'm here to tell you, I'm an open person. I really am. Uh, I have an open mind, you know. Uh, I told them that I consider myself to be open and tolerant and fair. And then they asked me about the death penalty. This is before the governor uh, stopped executions in the state of Illinois. Could I ever go along with a sentence of death for someone. And I told them as a follower of Jesus Christ, and not all followers of Jesus come down in the same place in God's world, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, I couldn't see me personally getting around that one. I couldn't do that. In their eyes, I was not as open as I thought I was. See, what I've discovered is I'm open But I have categories. You may be open, but I bet you have categories. Uh, Once I attended a meeting at a conference center outside of St. Louis. The conference center was also a monastery. I arrived a few hours before things were going to begin, so I took a hike in the beautiful grounds around the center. Uh, And returning from my walk, I was confronted with a series of doors, and I didn't know how to get back in. Most of them were locked. When I I noticed a young woman in a yellow bikini who was sitting by the pool, she was talking to another woman, and I interrupted them saying, I'm sorry, but you tell me which of these gets me back to the dining hall. And the woman in the yellow bikini said, oh yeah, it's the far door over there, that'll get you there. And I said, thank you. Um, Have you been to a conference here before? And she said, oh, no, I work here. I'm Sister Roberta. (laughs) A nun in a yellow bikini. Seriously. Who would have thought that? That was not a category I had. But seriously, why be open? What is so important about being open? What does being open do for us or get us in our life and especially in our life of faith? 
I think we often say, and I'm glad we can, that faith is a rock. There are times when we need to cling to the fact that faith is a rock, something solid, something stable, something immovable, something constant and unchanging. All often hear people say about somebody they admire, she has firm beliefs, you'll never budge her an inch, or he's an ornery old cuss, but you know where he stands all the time. Faith as a rock. But sometimes, rather than faith being a rock, what if faith is more like water? like that water we just saw? What if faith is more like water, an ever-rolling stream, living water, a dynamic, ever-changing, ever-moving force? What if faith is more like water than like a rock? And far from being closed and locked down and firm, being open and changeable, ebbing and flowing, what if these were also attributes of a vital faith? Not that being like that isn't painful. Open is a word that Luke uses eight times in his gospel. In Luke's gospel, there are open minds, there are open ears, there are open eyes, there are open hearts, there are open doors, and of course there's the open tomb. And in Luke's gospel, every time something gets opened, it's painful. By the repetition, Luke seems to be showing us that Jesus placed an extraordinary premium on being open. By the poignancy of events, Luke seems to be telling us that nothing in life or faith gets opened without pain. The corner of one city where I used to live still has a kind of a smaller town feel to it. And everybody seems to gather at one particular place in this corner of town for breakfast or for lunch. Several summers ago, I didn't realize it until after it happened, but it turned out I was scheduled to meet folks there for breakfast or lunch like five straight days for one meal or another. It was the beginning of the summer, so the wait staff had turned over some. There were younger faces mixed with the veterans. The first time I was there, there was a teenager who was waiting on us, and we got to talking. And this was a summer job for her, she told us. Well, how's your summer going, we asked. And she said, okay, well, my sister's at home, so I'm sleeping on the couch. She works here too, so I get to see her. I like that, but I'm not so glad. I'm sleeping on the couch. Well, the second time I was there, the same teenager came uh, to wait on me. Maybe she was wondering why I was eating exactly the same meal in exactly the same place day after day after day, but she was nice. She didn't mention that. But we kind of picked off where we left off. Still relegated to the couch, I asked. And she said, yep, you know, my sister, well, she's getting a divorce. He kept hitting her, her husband. I feel bad about that. I liked him. I don't know about you, this may be an occupational hazard, but I find myself a lot of the time trying to wrap things up um, at the end of a meeting or at the conclusion of a conversation thinking that I need to come in with some meaning and wrap it up. At the end of a sermon, you know, trying to answer questions and tie it all up. I find that in my life, I work pretty hard at wrapping things up. But here now, in front of this girl, two half conversations over two meals in two days, I couldn't think of what to say. So I listened, and I nodded, and I 
tried to seem like a really sympathetic person. Pretty weak, all in all. A couple days later, I was back there. As I sat down, I saw the teenager talking to a slightly older version of herself. And soon the older sister came to our table to take our order. She wrote it down on the pad, and then she said, thank you for what you said to my sister earlier. She told me it was you. Thank you. I said, but I didn't say anything. That was the problem. Uh, I, I, all I did was fumble around some, for some words, and I was so awkward, and I was so inadequate. And then she said, we believe in God. God is good. With God's help, we're going to get through this. Wow. See, all that time the girl had been talking, I, I was trying to think of something that would close it down, that would tie it up, that would finish it, that would conclude it all and give her some closure. But the sister, the sister said something that opened it all up. We believe in God. God is good. With God's help, we'll get through this. Her faith in that shaky moment was not a rock. Her faith was water. It was living water. It was moving and flowing through her whole life. I think I can do that. You can do that, can't you? I think you and I have it in us, put there by God, to be open in that kind of way. The risen Christ the disciples encountered beyond the empty tomb did not restore their old life. The risen Christ did not put them on easy street with no problems, no worries, no anxieties. The risen Christ of the empty tomb offered them a path to discipleship that would prove challenging until the last breath in life they took. The risen Christ, more than anything else, opened God's world to them, opened God's power to them, opened God's goodness to them. I wonder what it'll take for us. I wonder what it will cost us. I wonder how painful it's going to be for us to be open like that. What does it take for us to be open for whatever God brings our way? Not just open-minded in that vaguely tolerant way our culture so adores, but open to the Spirit of the living God rearranging things. And open to faith, flooding our senses and our reason, washing some things away and uncovering other things. And open to the Word of God, the wonderful, challenging, confronting, painful, justice-seeking, justice-insisting, life-giving, fear-quenching, generosity-producing, love-multiplying, death-defying, tomb-opening Word of God. Each of us awoke this morning to a world that in so many places does not feel very open. It doesn't feel like living waters of faith are rushing through it. 700 migrants drown just beyond the Libyan coast. Kidnapped girls half a world away. The publicity has died down. They're still held captive. Wars and rumors of wars move toward the boiling point our public discourse is so strident and so cynical. 
Things are changing so rapidly in our culture that that old phrase, future shock, hardly seems adequate to describe the anxiety of all that. The personal toll of trying to live a life of faith in a world like this keeps us struggling and striving to just hold on and trust the God of Easter. In times like this, I really want my faith to be a rock. I gotta tell you, I want my faith to be a rock, solid, immovable, certain, locked in. But I'm pretty sure reading this text that what we are getting from the God of Easter in Luke is faith like water, living water, water that quenches and cleanses and moves us along, cutting new channels for our journey. While the disciples were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This text implies that we are not open. This text implies that we need to be open. This text implies that there is something about God and there's something about the Bible that requires opening. This text implies that being open is a miracle God gives to each of us. This text proclaims that being open is an Easter gift from God that'll never end. It's an Easter gift from God to each of us and all of us together that will never, ever disappoint or run out. 